Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Sarah Story, Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. This week, I'm catching up with William Dunlap, a painter, writer, arts advocate, and commentary based in Matheson, Mississippi, Coral Gables, Florida, and McLean, Virginia. Dunlap is the recipient of the Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters 2022 Noel Polk Lifetime Achievement Award. Welcome, Dunlap. It's good to be amongst you. How you doing, Sarah? Good. So good to see you again. How are you liking that new job? Oh, it's wonderful. Very luckiest, luckiest girl in the state. It's the best job. That's good. You, you made you made a circuitous kind of route to get back to Mississippi, didn't you? New well, Orleans and out to Austin, Texas. And then, uh, there, there's no straight route back, back to Mississippi. <laughs> I have found that to be true. <laughs> but it does call you back. You know, it's the damnedest thing. It it's does. like the mighty whippoorwill. It calls you back. <laughs> and glad it did. So tell tell us a little bit. That's a great place to start. Tell us a little bit about your your background. You grew up here. Well, I did. I, I um, the, the Dunlaps and Coopers and Gores and Smiths that I sprang from rushed into the North Mississippi in 1830 after the Treaty of Dancing Rabbit Creek removed the last of the Choctaw and sent them out to Oklahoma. And uh, they 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 farmed and 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 made whiskey and praised the Lord and did all those things that people did in the 19th century. And uh, uh, so I've, I've always, you know, I had a fairly peripatetic upbringing. My, my father died when I was very young. My mother remarried and we lived in Charleston, South Carolina and Fort Arthur and Fort Worth, Texas and South Mississippi and Amit County and up in the Delta. And so, but every summer, my older brother and I repaired to our grandparents' house and farms and uh, in Webster County. And it was like idyllic. And, and to, I, I realized it's what I still do. I've got a house in Webster County. We're doing some work on it now and uh, go back a good deal, you know, in the spring and certainly in the fall. And it's within striking distance of Starkville and Oxford. So I'm, 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 I'm what I call a, a nagging alumni of Ole Miss. And uh, I give them all this, this advice, none of which they take, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're lucky to have, have your input, I'm sure. Um, so tell us a little bit about your growing up. Were you an artist and writer when you were younger? When did that start? Well, I, I don't know if there's such a thing as the visual equivalent of perfect pitch, or if it is, if I have it, but I just know my vision overrode everything else. I always looked, and I didn't speak until I was a couple of years old. My, my, my family thought I was a, 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 a ill or something, but once I learned to talk, I hadn't shut up. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the damnedest thing, so I, I don't know. I just always drew. I was that kid in your class that drew cartoons, and as a matter of fact, I still get together with some of my old high school buddies, and and I'm reminded of uh, the, the the reading of Julius Caesar we had, in which I would make drawings very much of the Mad Magazine uh, variety and pass them around when people were reading. And when Roy, Roy Thompson actually ate one of those drawings, he get me from being expelled, and I appreciate it <laughs> very much. So it's it's I just always drew, you know, I always drew, and there weren't a lot of there were no art classes in high school, and I, I went to Heinz, which was wonderful. And Bell Haven for a year, where I witnessed Miss Welty dragging her own garbage cans down to the curb, and I thought everybody grew up with that kind of juxtaposition to artists. And I went out to Mississippi College and, and worked with Sam Gore. He was a distant kinsman of mine, but a brilliant, brilliant man, and, and one of the holiest men I've ever met. 
and that didn't get in the way of his art. I'm glad we worked that Ten Commandment thing out so we could make graven images because we did the hell out of that, you know. But Mississippi College was good to me. Then I ended up at Ole Miss. So I'm a total product of a Mississippi higher educational system for whatever that's worth. Hey, that's, it worked out well. So that's great. I didn't realize you had, uh, you did, actually did go to Ole Miss in the end. That's oh, awesome. yeah. I got an MFA there in 69, which, and I've got a show coming up in Oxford in uh, April the 1st, April Fool's Day, interestingly enough, my buddy Robert Marsh and I. And I'll go by and meet the new chancellor because, you know, they change chancellors about every 15 to 20 minutes. Up there. <laughs> so I'm anxious to meet Dr. Boyce. That's great. Well, good. We're, they'll be glad to have you back. Oh, um, well, you did school up there, did you not? I did. That's right. That's when I, I think that's when I first met you when I was working yeah, at the yeah, yeah. Um, art museum there. Yep. It's good. Good little museum. Well, it is with a wonderful collection. I would that the building were, were up to snuff, but uh, here that's uh, we've got other things to do. So yeah. there's, uh, well, I, well, I think you'll be pleased. They did. They finally uh, worked out the Greek and Roman area for that collection, which it looks really nice. And oh, yeah. It, they've right. gotten some great new public sculpture out front of the museum, so it looks more like an art. You know, I've always thought that the, the best thing they could do is offer a degree in museum studies, turn mm-hmm. that old that old museum into a class. It's a classroom building, basically. Turn it into right. classrooms. Teach conservation. Teach and Because there are jobs out there waiting for curators, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's not a, a single MA in art history in any of the institutions of higher learning. So mm-hmm. Betsy Bradley, let's say, uh, at the Museum of Mississippi Museum of Art wants to hire somebody and, and the equivalent is a is a master's degree. She has to go out of state. And that, that's mm. absurd. That just should really not happen. That's true. That's a very good point. Well, tell us a little bit about your your style. How do you describe your style of painting? And, and has it changed over the years? Well, for what it's worth, my, my degree at Ole Miss was in printmaking and sculpture. I, I had an assistantship to go up there and, and pour metal. You know, we had a foundry. It's really doing a great job now, as a matter of fact. But mm-hmm. that same, well, that was back in 16. So I came as a, as a teaching assistant to make sculpture and, and run the foundry. And I found I was making very expensive doorstops. So I just <laughs> turned, to, turned to painting. But oil on paper is something I developed. My friend Robert Marsh and I, who I've got this show with, kind of crepas, the, the, the oil pastel were fairly new on the market then. And we started to break those down with turpentine and, and make the equivalent of watercolors. Now, the, the, the problem with watercolor in Mississippi and why water does it make, waters does it magnificently is that there's so damn much humidity, you can't get the things to dry. And I don't <laughs> know how John Singer Sargent did it in Venice, to tell you the truth, because there were no hair dryers then. But you see these artists now with these battery-driven uh, hair dryers trying to dry the damn paintings. You know? So I, I basically what I'm saying is I was, I was taught to make watercolors and was too impatient. So oil on paper works very, very well. So I've evolved this technique over the years and that's kind of what I do. And the, the things, paintings on canvas are almost all acrylic, but it's evolved and it's a mixed media process, but I, I don't like that term so much. So it's uh, uh, just oil paint and dry pigment on rag paper. And it's very much, I, I started doing this when I was taking, making prints, making etchings and, and cleaning them up and polishing them for critique. You know, you work back into them, which you're not supposed to do. But uh, the idea that art is a lie that makes the truth somehow bearable is one of those many definitions of art that I, that I, I respond to. That's a good one. Yeah. So you use, yeah, many different types of material. What type of, how did you start using the symbols that you use? You, you tend to revisit a similar landscapes, symbols. Tell us a little bit about how Oh, that's well, they're, they're invented. I, I call what I do hypothetical realism. The places and things I paint aren't real, but you know they could be. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm looking for is verisimilitude. And uh, I, I think that's a worthy goal. And uh, the, if, if my art works for anybody, it's between the retina of the eye and the cortex of the brain. You know, it, it, I was showing up in Boston and people would come in and say, oh, those are the White Mountains of New Hampshire. My grandmother lives. And of course, it was Southern Appalachian Mountains of Wachaga County, North Carolina, which is where I lived at the time. But but it, that's fine. If, they, if that's what they saw in it, that was just fine. So I really think that that, that what the artist thinks about the work is not at all important. It's what the viewer, he, he completes the work by looking at it and, and, and making an idea. But are, the worst thing that can happen to a painting is to have someone stand in front of it and yawn. You should either despise it or, or, or like it very much. So uh, that's kind of what I do. Yeah, it's great. And you also incorporate uh, words into your work. Well, words and symbols and straight lines, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think I've learned more from from writers and how they work than I am from, from other painters. I mean, Ernest Hemingway, of all people, I just read a great article by Hank Burdine in the current issue of Delta Magazine, as a matter of fact. It's about the time that Hemingway spent in Pickett, Arkansas, the Arkansas Delta. And it was at Pfeiffer marriage. His second wife was, uh, uh, parents had a big place in, in Pickett, Arkansas. But anyway, what, what Hemingway, he was a brave man, drove ambulances during World War II, but he used to say that the most intimidating thing he'd ever faced was a blank sheet of paper rolled into a typewriter. At this point, I have to explain what the hell a typewriter is. (laughs) But it's true. I usually, I I take the upper left-hand corner of the canvas, the paper, and draw a straight line from that down into the, and then then I've got it. Then I'm I'm in it. I'm in the painting. And it it paints itself if I'm lucky. And uh, uh, if I'm not, I'll roll it up and put it away. You know, you you mentioned that I had studios in McLean, Virginia. I had a studio in McLean, Virginia from 1980 until just this past July. I have Mm -hmm. downsized like so many people of my of my generation who are finding themselves still alive and shocked by that fact. Uh, so I'm, I'm in Matheson, Mississippi, where I'm working on the house there and in Carl Gables, Florida. So Virginia and Washington, D.C. are out of the mix right now. So I'm just not doing that anymore. Yeah, well, two two states, that, that Florida and Mississippi, that's, that's enough to take care of. Well, it is. It's. It's. A, I was. You know. It was. It was getting very expensive in time and energy to be in Virginia. And I say this quite frankly. I, I don't want to you know, trash Washington, but it's not the place I moved to in 1980. There was an art scene. There were galleries all over the place and openings. And the Corcoran Gallery of Art, where I had two exhibitions, is now closed. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it'll come back and, and, and but the, the, the city of Washington has better artists than it deserves. And, uh, you know, but what happened on January the 6th, I'm not over that yet. That's uh, people use Washington like a toilet. And that's unfortunate because it's a great damn city, wonderful museums, good jazz, good bluegrass. It's got a cultural scene, but it's, it's got it without me now. So, uh. <laughs> well, it's their loss for sure. Well, tell us a little bit more about working in these different places. How have they have they influenced your your work, the way that you you approach your subject matter? Well, one of the things I was going to say was that when I closed down the studio in McLean, Virginia, my wife, Linda Burgess, found some paintings that I'd started and put away. And that's kind of what I do. There's a high rate of attrition to what I do. I start a lot of paintings and I don't finish them or I'll cut them down and find a small section that still works. But we brought them down here to Florida and I'm pulling them out and working on them now. So I've got pictures that were started 15 years ago that I'm finishing now. So that's kind of exciting. That's kind of funny. I'm too damn Scottish to throw anything away. So I'm <laughs> to make it work. That's great. Do you remember what you were? Oh, sure. You know, I, can, I can look at a painting and remember what was going on in the world, what I was thinking yeah. about at the time. It's a kind of a time warp. 
And I've, I had kept all I've been using since since Mississippi College paper plates, you know, those wax paper plates as ballots for both watercolor and for uh, for oil. So I kept all those. And I can actually remember what paintings I was working on. But I had to dispense with them. I had huge stacks, mountains of paper plates that I've used over and over again. So I'm starting a new batch now. But that's, you know, the way I work, I just had figured out myself. You know, it was just uh, uh, no, no teachers I've ever had could teach me to do what I'm doing, which is to run a studio and make art for the market and sell it. It just wasn't part of their, part of their deal. They did other things that did them rather well. Right. But, you know, I haven't taught. I haven't really had a job since 1979, but I've never worked harder. And right. the interesting thing about being at this point in one's life is I'm, I'm, and I think I say this without fear of contradiction, I'm making some of the best paintings of my life at 78. And it's, you know, there's nothing stopping me. I can see, I've got enough coordination to do it. I don't run the 100 yard dash anymore. Nobody wants me to do that. Right. It would take a calendar to time me that event. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be an artist. It's a good time to be an artist. It is, yeah. And uh, when you and I spoke, I guess a year and a half ago, you mentioned you were able to create more in the pandemic. Well, I did what I would have done anyway, which is just get up in the morning and go to the studio. But yeah. it wasn't interrupted by dinner parties and and and, and being invited out. And we run up to Palm Beach from time to time and go down to the Keys every now and again. As a matter of fact, Wyatt Waters and his wife Christy were coming through here. He's got a book coming out, and uh, we watched the Super Bowl together. And then they drove on down to the Keys and just painted up a storm. But uh, it's I, I really admire Wyatt and what he's doing. We had the same teachers. He's about 10 years behind me. Wow. And the difference, of course, there are a lot of difference in it is that he paid attention. And I, of course, did. <laughs> well, that's great. That's really. So you all have the same teachers at Ole Miss or at Mississippi, no, at Mississippi College? Mississippi College. Oh, okay. He just came on a little later. Very cool. And Mississippi College, for what it's worth, for some reason, watercolor is 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 just what goes on out there. Rookie Stowers was ahead of me, and I would I would find old watercolors of his. It was just brilliant, and they were all about technique. And of course, Rookie and and both both Rookie Stowers and Barry Hanna are both dead now. They were they were at Mississippi College just ahead of me. And Noel Polk, and whose name this award I'm getting was was uh, given was at Mississippi College when I was there. And, and people ask me, so Donna, what fraternity are you in? I said, oh, man, I was no fraternity at Mississippi College. But there was the Baptist Student Union, and they, play, <laughs> they, they prayed for students at risk. And, and Noel, Noel Polk told me, he said, uh, said Dunlap, you know, you were on that list. <laughs> I said, well, I did my best to fill the void left by Barry Hanna and, and, and Rookie Stowers. And for what it's worth, Rookie Stowers moved to New York. He was a great musician, great painter. And I saw him, he, he did, a, he had a wonderful act at a, an Italian restaurant on the Upper East Side. And he put on all kinds of costumes and played. And, and I went by to see him the, the summer before he died in the fall. Brilliant man. That's incredible. So you knew Noel at... Oh, yeah. Well, I knew who he was at Mississippi College. We got to be friends later. That's because I, uh, I was just using Mississippi College to get out of the draft in Vietnam, which is... <laughs> And of course, Sam Gore, it was so funny, you know, I had a, had a rock and roll career. I was playing with Tim Whitson and the Imperial Show Band, and we, we had a lot of fun. And we drove up to a, to a deal one night after having gone over to the University of Alabama to see their foundry. And I got out and went in and went to work. And he said, Bill, you work in places I wouldn't. You know, yeah, I said, well, Dr. Gore, you must know that every penny of this filthy lucre goes to tuition at Mississippi College. <laughs> <laughs> Which awesome. was the most expensive school, right? But I love MC. I, 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 I go to see them all the time. It's great. All right. Well, we will be back after this short break. This is Sarah Story, the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. 
You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with William Dunlap, a painter, writer, arts advocate, and commentator. Thanks for being here, Dunlap. It's my pleasure. It's absolutely my pleasure. You know, when the last segment we'll be talking about, about Barry Hanna and, 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 and Rookie Stowers, I, this last book of short stories I put together, I used a Barry Hanna quote in it. Barry was trying to get out of an interview with somebody, and he said, I got to end this thing, man. I've got to get back to lying and making a living, which is the <laughs> name of my book. And it's about the best definition of fiction you can come up with, you know, lying and making a living. That's awesome. Were you were you at school at the same time as Barry, or did we all there? He got out just as I got to Mississippi College. Mm-hmm. I went to one year over at Bell Haven. I wouldn't take anything for it. You know, that was the most brilliant group of students. I mean, everybody I, that we could watercolor, everybody could paint and sing and write music. And it was a small school. It had just gone co-educational, and it had been a girls' finishing school for the longest. Oh wow! And so in the sixties, I was I was a day student. I don't even think they had any boys' dormitories then. But there were a few of, of, of wee boys around those beautiful Presbyterian girls, and uh, we had a very large time. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful little campus too. I live it right by it now. Yeah. Well, it's and it was a great way to get to. Miss Hull lived over in that part of the world, and 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 and, and uh, the widow of uh, uh, let, let's see, Miss Welty lived right across the street. I used to literally park in front of her house, and William Hollingsworth's widow lived there. Wow. And uh, and so we would go over there and visit the Hollingsworth studio. And just see watercolor after watercolor, and, and it just made you want to quit. Those things were so good. And uh, but you know, the, one of the, one of the nice things about making art is that it's it's like anything. Repetitions matter. You know, it's like going to the rifle range. The more you you you, you take aim and, and fire, the closer you're going to get to the target. And so you make it over and over and over again. It's kind of what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hard when you're 18 years old. It's hard to get to, to do that, and it's even harder to listen to somebody to tell you that. You know, but because uh, you want it to happen immediately yeah it's true well nothing nothing happens immediately when you're 18 but disappointment (laughs) (laughs) you can use that in a speech to undergrads (laughs) when you go to Ole Miss well you don't have the best time there's something called the chancellor's leadership class I don't know who started it and I'm surprised they haven't called you to come up there but they get people from the professions to come up and it's on a Tuesday night at seven o'clock and 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 my wife Linda Burgess and I have a daughter in her mid-20s who just got her master's degree at the Royal College of Art in London and she's opted to stay over there you know she's unfortunately she's the, got the language problem you know because what was it Winston Churchill said about America and Great Britain two nations divided by a common language <laughs> <laughs> but she's having a ball in London and it turns out to be a very hip place to be yeah that's great well, I'm glad she's doing well she's very talented as well well she is you know I'm, I consider myself about the third best artist in my family <laughs> Linda and Maggie fight it out to see who's the top, but I'm I'm the loudest, so that's. Not good. 
<laughs> well, that's great. And so she's still able to create work over there? Oh, yeah. She's getting a lot of work done and, okay. and having shows in Leeds and in London. And there's something coming up in Paris. I mean, if you when you if, if you live in London, going to Paris is like going from Jackson to Memphis. You know, there's just really nothing to it. And so yeah. she's taking advantage of that. And I have no idea how long she'll stay, but I'd rather see her there than, you know, any place else right now. That's awesome. Well, God, so good to hear that. Well, tell I think us a little... She's coming back on the 11th for that deal in Jackson. So oh, she's... good. Well, God, we'll get to see her. So tell us a little bit about, so you were a visual artist and still are, and then you started writing. When did you start writing? Oh, You're about two or three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a famous thing. I've kept sketchbooks and journals since I was at Mississippi College, and I have them all. Every time I've changed studios, I've put them on a shelf high up out of reach, and I do about two, finish about two journals a year, and, and they're combinations of things, and I took them down to get some ideas for paintings, and I started to look at them, and there were grocery lists in there and phone numbers and things I should have done, and very harsh critiques of my own work, but they were little ideas for fiction, for stories, and I read a good deal. I, uh, I'm informed by fiction a lot more than autobiography. My life ain't been that interesting, so I'd never do that. So I just started to write them. I transcribed them, and I do the damnedest thing. It's kind of, I've, I've, I've never studied it, but I'll take these ideas and, and write them out and, and speak them into my iPhone. And Siri, you know, I'll email them to Linda, who cleans them up considerably and edits for me, and then she sends them back, and I'll work on them again. And they're, they're, they're nice, tight little taunt uh, pieces of, of fiction. And, but they're the same thing as the paintings. They're, they're hypothetical realism. These things I write about aren't real, but they could be. And that's if I can get the, the stories to come up to the same level. And, you know, it's, it, it's fun to do it. It's interesting to do it. And I'm having a good time doing it. But I, I, I was in my seventh decade of life before. I, and it's hard to tell an MFA student, I said, how do I become a great writer? I said, well, wait till you're 70 something years old. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that crap. Well, that's great. Well, but it's yeah. repetition. Once again, you do it over and you do it over and you do it over till you get it right. And I'm a, I, I'd like to think I'm a fearless editor. I don't know who was it that said, kill your darlings, but every now and then I'll have a turn of phrase that looks so good and sounds so good. And, but I got to get rid of it. Just got to throw it away. Yeah. So did you, so you, do you look back through your notes and create new stories or stories based on those? Well, I've been, I don't do that quite as much as I did before. I went through all, the first book uh, was called uh, uh, Short Mean Fiction. And I, I took drawings out of it and, and John Langston designed it for me. And he put a lot of drawings in there, you know. And I didn't want to do that because I consider myself a pretty fine draftsman. And these are just shorthand. The drawings are just little sketches, little ideas, and they're a little clumsy in places. But he said, no, no, we, they, the stories and the drawings come from the same place. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, uh, but, but it's, I'm glad I kept all those. I encourage anybody that listens to keep a journal, to keep a, keep a sketchbook, you know, to just hang on to them because it'll matter. It'll matter in the long run. And in my case, they've been very useful. They got me started on something I don't think I would have done otherwise. Yeah. Well, tell, tell us about your books. Your first one was called. The first one was short mean fiction and, and, and words and pictures. And the second one is lying and making a living. And I'm working on a short story now that's a Civil War era story. And as I've just come to the conclusion that I'm going to have to kill off two people. And I just hate it. <laughs> I feel awful about it. I've, I've grown to love them. But, you know, they're, they're, they're in post-Reconstruction Mississippi. It's a black guy and a white guy. And, you know, they're getting along very well. They're helping one another. And that just won't do. You know, you just that, that's inconsistent with, with history. It's, it's the verisimilitude's not there. So the next section, I'm just going to have to kill them. And I just do dread it. 
Well, that, well, we look forward to, to no, you know, we don't hearing look forward. more about that. But you know, if, if you're writing or if you're painting, it's your world. I can put another right. dog in there. You ask about the symbols, you know, these Walker hounds are, are, are dogs I grew up with. My, my maternal grandfather was a big fox hunter and he had a lot of Walker hounds up there. And they, they called it a fox race. They, they went out in pickups at night, turned their dogs loose and they chased the fox. They never caught it. The fox never died, but it was a race. You could tell whose dog was out front and whether they'd struck a gray or a red. And it was just remarkable. But those dogs were not interested in us at all. They, didn't, they weren't pets. They just wanted to run. They were all nose and lungs and legs. And, and uh, so they're, they're, they're stand-ins for an often human, absent human presence in my work. The animals are always there, whether it's a fish or dog or, or uh, I've got a big old white horse in a, in a painting that I'm going to show up at South Side, the show that opens April the 1st. So I don't know what that's about, but a white horse is a pretty damn good symbol when you get right down to it. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, so tell, tell us a little bit more. Where, what other symbols do you have come from your childhood? What, what do you remember about that? Well, I, I, I'm a bit animistic, I guess, in a way. I, I think objects have a life. And uh, I, I'm an inveterate collector of things. I have, uh, I just used um, a length of chain that someone left on William Faulkner's grave. I kept it for seven or eight years. I finally found a way to use it in a, in a, in a work of art. I would never admit that's what it was. It's just a piece of logging chain. Mm-hmm. But somebody felt the need to sort of leave that and a, and a ring of keys at Faulkner's grave. And those mm-hmm. folks just take, you know, the people that police the graveyard in Oxford just throw that stuff away. So I, I gave it a little extra life, and I had no idea from whence it came. Usually, people drink whiskey bottles and break them up like two. That's uh, that's what that's about. But I find things. My my older brother and I found a Navy Colt cap and ball pistol in a ditch in Walthall, Mississippi, and it stayed with me. It it went into our our box of toys for the longest until until somebody told my mother that that black powder was volatile, well past its time, and so it could blow up in any minute. So she gave it to the guy, you know. Who has a museum up in Holly Springs? Wow! So I mean, yeah, you find things in the ground. Air, we found arrowheads in the Big Black River bottom, like other kids were finding uh, uh, four-leaf clovers. And so I've, I've I've got a sense that it's all in the ground. And I'm trying to do as a painter aesthetic archaeology, for lack of a better term. And I just trust what what comes what happens on the painting. I just try. and and I hope to be. I'm I'm losing fewer and fewer these days, but they're not any easier to make. It's just my standards are much higher than they used to be. Yeah. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what what are are you focusing on now? Do you have a specific focus, or are you just? Well, I'm making the landscapes. I still think that matters, and and you know, you, you can draw the delta, just make a straight line across the bottom of the canvas, and you've got the delta right there. So it, what interests me is when I drive through the Mississippi Delta, where I spent a little time growing up, you see the two institutions, old churches, usually they're black churches, but not always, and the cotton gin. They're all defunct. Now, these days, everybody compresses the cotton, puts it on the back of a truck, hauls it out of here. But the cotton gin is is a defunct building. Some are being repurposed. As a matter of fact, Julia Reed's the rehearsal dinner for her wedding was in the black dog cotton gin out from Leland, Mississippi. It was the damnedest thing I've ever been to. But uh, others are being repurposed as party places and some folks are knocking them down and saving the tin. You know, they're big old huge beams inside those things. The Dockery Plantation, our friend Bill Lester runs that and takes care of it. That's still got the machinery in it, but it hadn't cranked up in quite some time. So, uh, you know, the, the, the cotton gin and the church are these two institutions that I think go together. So I, I seldom paint one without the other. Usually the, the church is way in the background with cotton gins in the foreground. But I like those structures. I like those uh, agrarian structures that people aren't using. They've ended up being 
used for some other purpose that did interest me quite a lot. Yeah, that's so true. That is really interesting. That definitely does still exist all over Mississippi. Well, it does. It, 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 it's uh, uh, Mississippi's rich in that kind of thing. And usually we just abandon these old buildings and let the kudzu take over. And isn't kudzu fabulous? I mean, I, I, I wrote this short story about my brother and I. We used to, as children, the kudzu came from Japan. And uh, 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 it was planted on the side of the road to stop the erosion. And we used to put a stake by it in, in July or August and watch it grow. And eight and a half inches is the most it ever grew in one day that I witnessed. But it'll, we, it was the old folks used to talk about, be careful because it will come in your bedroom, get you by the throat and not turn you loose. So it's all gothic, you know, it's all sort of mysterious. When yeah. it grows over a building or when it grows on, on the power lines or trees, and, and you see a lot of it on the drive into the Delta, when they on Highway 82, dropping off into the Delta, uh, uh, Greenwood, those hills are just covered with kudzu. And uh, you'd think it was indigenous, but it's not. Yeah, uh, I remember, I guess, I, when I'd been away from Mississippi for a while and came back, I was shocked by the kudzu. But growing up here, I didn't really think much about it. But I just remember one time I went back to Oxford to visit a sister and seeing that kudzu was just, yeah. Well, really I saw amazing. it in, in, in Japanese B-movies, those Godzilla movies. You know, they've got kudzu. They've got these little gorilla-looking things walking amongst the kudzu. And it's got a little purple flower, a little blue flower that you... It, it's very tiny, but it flowers like like every other thing. Oh. oh the, do the one, the Mississippi kudzu, do they flower? It does. It flowers oh, in, yeah, in, in, in all the kudzu festivals. Everything that grows has to flower. It's a sex organ, for God's sake, you know. Yeah. So I, we don't think about kudzu as being sexy. Those goats won't even eat it. But it <laughs> it's incredible. remarkable stuff. It's almost like it was it was mail ordered for us. It was intended for our Gothic past, you know. But it's a it's a Japanese import. Wow! Yeah, that's really cool. Do you use kudzu in your work? You no, ever- not not consciously. I mean, it's it's hard to paint. It's, I think kudzu is a work of art. What it does to the landscape is what the artist does to the landscape. It encompasses encompasses it and uh, so no I try not to use it I, but these places are invented you know I, 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 I as I brought Wyatt up a couple of times I really like the way he goes out and makes plein air paintings and sits down and nails down what it is in front of it whereas I just invent these things you know I just pull them up it's and I think both ways are valid and I, I admire what he does and I think he's a he's a devoted to me in his own way yeah when did you start? A good artist. William Andrews is awfully good too. I've seen a good deal of him recently. I think the world of that guy. He's a good artist. Yeah, he is. I know. I wish he made more. When did you start uh, using objects in your work? You mentioned the um, the cord from Faulkner's grave, yeah. items from Faulkner's grave. When did you start incorporating? Well, you know, I'm a sculptor. That's. I, I still think of myself as a sculptor, and and. Uh, I, I, when I was making etchings, I used to you know, ink the plate and wipe it and, and look at the zinc plate and it looked like sculpture. I said, it looks so much better than the print it's going to be. So, so I like to use three-dimensional objects in my work. And, and what I've been doing is, is, is the classic triptych. The, the middle section will have a, a painting in it. And I wish we were visual. I'd show you some of these things. But as it is, you've got to go to my show in Oxford. But uh, the middle section will have a, a painted area. And off to the right and left will be uh, side panels, like, like a religious triptych. But they'll have three-dimensional objects in them that relate to it in some way or the other. And one of the things I've learned is you can almost put anything next to anything else, and they relate in some way or the other. So I make some aesthetic decisions, but I'm not trying to say any one thing. Mm-hmm. But the word allegory has been showing up in my work a lot. I like that a lot. 
mm. Mississippi and allegory. And uh, I think the, the word Mississippi spelled out uh, is, 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 is powerful. I've got an artist, a couple of artist friends that use the shape of the state of Texas in their work. And that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, Mississippi is the shape, shape of the state. It looks like a, a Rochard test from Alabama. Before <laughs> together, they do the same thing. But I, I like very, very much uh, the word Mississippi, and I use it quite a lot. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we will be back after this short break. This is Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today we're joined by William Dunlap, a painter, writer, arts advocate, and commentator. And we are going to get to celebrate Dunlap at the upcoming Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters 2022 award ceremony, which will be June 11th, I believe, in Jackson, Mississippi. And he's the recipient of the Noel Polk Lifetime Achievement Award. Which is great. Congratulations. Well, thank thank God I can quit now. I don't have to do this. <laughs> you know, we're talking about we talk about Noah Polk and the Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters. I know you've been involved with the Governor's Awards too. But you know, this is the damnedest thing about Mississippi, and people have recognized this. It's a factory. It, it makes artists, poets, writers, musicians. And that's kind of what we do. And for what it's worth, every one of these people have gone someplace else to go to school if they even went to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we've done it in, not because of the institutions of higher learning in the state, but in spite of them almost. And it's just the damnedest thing. You know, maybe we'll make an engineer one day and the guidance are great in medical work. But at the same time, when you think about all the writers, the Margaret Walker Alexanders, the Eudora Welties, the William Faulkners, the Richard Wrights, it's an embarrassment of riches. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves for making so damn many good writers. And I got to know, you know, I was in, you did the, uh, I think you emceed the uh, Governor's Awards this year, did you not? Mm-hmm. And every time I see all these people that show up, they, we're not even close to the bottom of the barrel. That's and right. they give seven or eight people a year. And um, I just think the world of that. And I was involved with that for eight or nine years and, and just enjoyed it thoroughly because I had the best seat in the house, as you do too right now. But That's the Institute right. of Arts and Letters was, uh, was, was, was invented by William Winter and Noel Polk and a few other folks. And it recognizes that fact, you know, it's that so the important. artists are here to stay. Yeah, it's so important to celebrate. I learned so much from the Governor's Arts Awards and all the nominations that come in. And like you said, we can only honor five to seven a year, but there's incredible. I mean, we receive 80 nominations at least every year of very qualified, incredibly talented people that have contributed well, to the, the story of our entire literary, artistic, et cetera. Well, there's another thing that, that I, I think we ought to always say about the people of Mississippi is that they support their artists, too. Mm-hmm. I, my buddy, Key Francis, who's of my generation, who taught in Florida and went to Cranbrook, 
he's back in Tupelo now. He's back on his farm in Tupelo, making some of the most interesting work. And, you know, Robert St. John's in, in the patron category. I love what St. John's doing. He's an old buddy of mine. I've known him since he was 11 years old. And his mother brought, brought him to some arts festival speech I was giving at the old, old capital in which I wore a white suit. And I ran for governor. <laughs> well, I ran on a platform of good taste. So, you know, I wasn't going to get elected. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm following William Goodman a lot. William Goodman does some interesting, interesting things. And I don't want to get into calling names because I'll leave somebody out. But it's just happening all over the place. You know, it's the damnedest thing. And you do it without benefit or without need for reward or even recognition. We just do it because we've got to do it. It's like breathing the air down here or something. Yeah. Why do you, why, why do you think Mississippi's produced so many incredible Creatives. Everybody has asked that question, and 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 Miss Welty came about as close as anybody. She said, "You know, the the literary it's like storm clouds. They gather over Russia, and then it rains and storms and lightning strikes. Then they gather over Ireland, and then right and strikes. And they gather over the American South. And but 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 they they stay with us in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. It's just the damnedest thing. And uh, I'm looking forward to this year's conference on the book, which is uh, is that's not what you call it though. It's that thing in August when it's oh. so hot." The book festival. Richard Holworth says that um, it's the only major book festival. It's joined to a sauna. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's true. You know, I've, uh, I've, I, my, my old buddy, I went to high school with John Richardson. He played ball up at Ole Miss. And I talked to each other on the 15th of August every year. And we have since high school because that's wow. when two a day started, you know, two a day football. Practice. And it was, you know, if, 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 if and grown men forced, forced us to get out there and fight with each other. And on, we, they should be put in jail for that. You know? <laughs> it's a form of child abuse. But uh, I don't. I don't so you know. enjoyed football then? <laughs> well, you know, you did. I don't remember having a choice, you know. I was inept at it. I can assure you then. Did you play other sports? I ran track. Ran track in college. You know, I was a, I was the most dubious of all achievers, a white sprinter. <laughs> <laughs> but I written a little short piece called "A Fairly Consistent uh, Ten Flat Sprinter," and it's about this old boy that his, his digital. Every time he turns his microwave on, it, it gets to ten seconds, and he re- he remembers what it was like to every step. You know, and we've uh, got all these counters amongst us. You know, everything it would take you to ten seconds, and it's it's an interesting little story. But I won't. But I won't force it on you. Well. You've always been a storyteller. I've known you, I guess, for almost 15 years now. But look where I came from. All these people around me tell stories. They have to start a story on Sunday and it doesn't, they don't finish till the following Sundays. <laughs> Do you think that's where you learned just growing up? Well, it is an oral surrounding? culture. And mm-hmm. I think I, th- I think that language is a birthright for us. And if we don't use it, I used to fuss at my mother because she had these great stories and she wouldn't write them down. And she said, oh, people are still alive. I said, that's your audience, mama, for God's sake. So I'm trying to take my own advice here. That's great. Yeah, we're glad you're writing it, writing it all down. So um, so you have the Institute of Arts and Letters coming up, the book festival. And what else are you, you mentioned the Southside Gallery. I've what got to get a show coming up with, with my buddy Robert Marsh at the Southside Gallery that opens May, April 1st. April and of course, 1st. they've got that big... Uh, that big double decker festival later in the month. And uh, uh, I think the, the Ole Miss conference on the book is happening the weekend of the 29th, 30th and 1st of April. So I'm going to try to go to some of those sessions. I look forward to it. I get back to Mississippi every spring and every fall and, and I come back for football games and funerals. You know, I just, it's, it's a, it's just the damnedest thing. I, I, I can't stay away. Of course, if I lived there, y'all would have run me out a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> Well, t- have you, what has 
been your influences from Florida? Has living in Florida influenced? Have you gained? Well, yeah. What, what about what about jumping in the swimming pool in February, honey? That's all, man. <laughs> I, the weather's awfully nice, and I get a kick out of it. I get a lot of work done. But it's interesting to, to watch the, the, the folks in Florida. There are a lot of expatriates. Everybody's from somewhere else. Mm. And the Everglades, which are just out uh, 8th Street from where we live, are, are, are full of indigenous species and non-indigenous species. The alligator and the bull constrictor are involved in huge, I can't figure out what you use this in my art, but they're involved in huge uh, biblical competitions. You know, they're just killing one another right and left. And uh, but people would have a, have a bull constrictor or a python as a pet and say, I'm done with this and take it out to the Everglades. And they've just about destroyed the key deer and the little, you know, because they they're, 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 they they love it out there. They, they yeah. we've had a fairly cool winter, so there's a there's a hunting season for them. So you uh, these old boys go out there and hunt bull constrictors, and uh, it's just the damnedest thing. But all this is going on all around us. So uh, Carl Hyacinth, the great writer, is right about Florida. You can't make this stuff up. He, he just gets the uh, Miami Herald every day and writes fiction around it. So it's just incredible. Yeah. Well, I heard that Miami also has a peacock problem. Have you? Do you guys? Well, I don't have think this? it's a problem, but I have written about it. Yeah, there, there, there are peacocks in, in Coconut Grove that run around, and they're ungodly beautiful to look at. Their mm-hmm. their call is awful, and they tend to defecate everywhere. There's that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've got a lot of wildlife down here. We've got foxes that run, raccoons and possums, and uh, yeah. So it's it's the jungle in a lot of ways, you know. It's, but it, it, but it, you know, but it's a good place to sort of hang out until you can go to Mississippi. So that's what I use. That's great. Well, what are you looking forward to working on? Are you writing more, painting more? What are you focusing on? Well, I'm getting a lot of painting done. I've got a commission or two I'm working on. And uh, and as I said, it's just one groundhog day after another. You know, I just get up and go to the studio. And, and when that wears out, I write a little bit and, and read over some of the old stories and do a lot of editing. And I, it's it's a very engaged life. And I'm, I'm lucky to have it. And uh, but right now, my wife, Linda, and I are, are adding on to in, in, in the house in Matheson. I've got an old 1907 uh, two story house in Webster County, Mississippi. And we're doing that over the iPhone. That's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> so we'll, I'll, I'll go check on it uh, in, in March when I go down there. But uh, uh, Mississippi changes, but it, in, as it does, as you found out, it remains the same because mm-hmm. you took a securitist right out and, and you've come back from Texas and New Orleans and uh, it's kind of always good to be home. That's right. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with where Webster County is, will you tell us a little bit about where? Well, it's right up the Natchez Trace from Jackson. You go right up the Natchez Trace and it's where Highway 82 crosses the the Natchez Trace. It used to be part of Choctaw County. Choctaw County was very large. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember when, but they divided it into Webster and Choctaw County. Walthall is the county seat. We had a great old courthouse that just burned and and Belinda Stewart was trying to get it, you know, restored. But, you know, the folks at the plebiscite, they want a new one. They like the equivalent of a double wide mobile home. They want something new and fresh. But, uh, you know, the little college that, when I was growing up in Matheson, uh, Wood Junior College was uh, a Methodist school that had a little equestrian program. And, and when I was there in the 50s, there were these exotic people, these displaced persons. They were called Romanians and Hungarians that World War II had displaced mm-hmm. and the Methodists found a place for them. I remember a, 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 a Hamlet soliloquy with a paper mache skull and string quartets. These were just exotic, exotic people. And uh, that school is closed. It doesn't live there. Someone decided there was way too much higher education in North Mississippi. So they closed the school. I don't wow. know. 
But it's, it, it, I wouldn't have missed it. Virginia College was really quite a, it's still a glorious campus. It's just empty now, but it's a, it's a beautiful place. Pine, folks still carry on out there, get married. Pine trees everywhere. Yeah, so is that Hill, is that hill Country or is that? Oh, it's, it's the Hill Country, yeah. It's on, and you don't get to the Delta until you go through Winona and come mm-hmm. on down the other side. So Highway 82 runs from Greenville to Starkville, you know, and, and Columbus. It's, a, it's one of those east-west roads. And I write about it a good deal. There's an interesting thing that happened up there, but it was way before my time. But Charles Lindbergh crash landed an airplane in a pasture near Mabin and wow. uh, had, to, had to spend uh, spend uh, three or four days in a farmer's house with a beautiful daughter. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lindbergh was flying his Jenny from uh, uh, west to east. And it was a, a couple of years before he, he made the transatlantic crossing. But he's in a short story of mine, so I, I use it. Um, That's awesome. So also a little bit of truth. There's a little bit of fact in these things, that, uh, but for the most part, they just invented. So have you, over the years, have you been able to explore Mississippi? Do you still get around all over the state? Well, I tried to. I, I tell you who I missed terribly was Julia Reed. She was a great friend, and she was Mississippi complete. I almost never saw her in the state except for the Hot Tamale Festival. Mm-hmm. I'd see her in New Orleans. I'd see her in New York. And But she, we, we could finish each other's sentences. We knew the same things, knew the same people. And, uh, God, she was just a great artist and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, left us way too soon. But, yeah, I, I try to drive around. And, and, and my daughter thinks Mississippi is the most exotic place she's ever been. And she's been to some exotic places, mm-hmm. Southeast Asia and Europe. And, uh, but, but she loves to come back. And so uh, she, we'll do a little traveling around when, she, uh, when she's here in June. So it'll be fun to do. That's great. I like nothing better than giving Mississippi to somebody else. You know, everybody's got an opinion about it. And most of the people have never even been here. And so that ends the conversation. I'll ask them once they express their opinion about it. Say, When's the last time you were there? Well, I've never been. Well, then we've got nothing to talk about. You know? Yeah. You got to expose yourself to the place. You know. Mm-hmm. Has your has your hometown changed much since you? Oh, yeah. Matheson was a little railroad town. You know, the railroads are gone. And the college is gone. So it's 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 only 18 miles from Starville. So I'm waiting for it to become a bedroom community for for, for Mississippi State University. But that has not happened yet. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it will. Yeah. It's a road. It, you know, they've been trying to four lane that road for as long as I can remember. And they finally got around to it. And uh, I've got an old Church of Christ that I bought. It was on the north side of the highway. I moved it to the south side and it's you know, I'm the greatest collector of my own work and I can't afford it. I wish somebody would take it off my hands. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we get back as often as we can. Yeah. Well, that's my really wife cool. Linda, my wife Linda, to her everlasting credit, is tolerant of it in the same way that my family was tolerant of my wanting to be an artist. They figured out amount something, you know. Nobody wanted me to, 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 to learn to, and I had nothing to fall back on, as it were, you know. So that was, they figured out it would be all right. So I appreciate yeah. that. Well, that's great. Well, we look forward to welcoming you back in June in Jackson. And then you mentioned the show at Southside in April around Double Decker, which will be a great time. You'll get to catch up with lots of folks, I'm sure. And then you'll be back for the book fest. So I will glad, I will glad we'll get to see and you guys. Congratulations to you for this job. I, I know it must be tough having Malcolm White over your shoulder all the time. Oh, it's, I'm <laughs> lucky that I'm his neighbor and can call him best. anytime. <laughs> I'm coming in. I'm coming in. Linda and I are coming in on the 26th of March just to go to the Pal and Mal Parade. Oh, good. That's going to be a lot of fun. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And we're just so glad to hear everything that's going on in your life and everything you're creating. So thank well, you. Well, I'm not in parchment yet, so it's been a close run. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.